What is the best way to connect in our relationships and have more fulfilling relationships with our family, our friends, our kids, our coworkers, all of the important relationships that matter? That is what we are going to be exploring in today's episode. I am joined by Dr. David Bradford, who has been teaching at Stanford Graduate School of Business since 1969. He has taught interpersonal skills to MBA candidates for many, many decades, and he has also coached and consulted hundreds of executives and executive teams for decades as well. He has taken his legendary Stanford Graduate School of Business course called Interpersonal Dynamics and has made that into a book, which we will talk about, but we're also going to dive in to each of these areas of what makes a strong and exceptional relationship and how we can begin doing it ourselves. Let's dive into today's podcast. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. These are the four areas of attraction, or as us insiders like to call it, the pies. Join me, Kimberly Beam Holmes, as we speak with other experts around the world on how to become the most attractive that you can be. Create confidence and find happiness. We will teach you how. It starts with attraction and it starts now. People ask me all the time, Kimberly, which area of my pies should I focus on first? And the answer to that question is the one where you need to see the most growth. So how do you know which area that that is? That is why I have created an attraction assessment. This free assessment is designed to help you learn what areas of attraction you should be working and focusing on first. Every area is important, but there is likely a specific area that is lowest for you and that you should focus on working on first, because by working on the one that is the lowest and bringing that up, you will automatically start feeling better about yourself and be more attractive to the people in your life. Take the assessment to learn which area to prioritize. As you go through the assessment, you'll be able to rate yourself in every area. And then at the end, you will see which area is your lowest and which areas you are already kicking butt in because you're definitely gonna have some of those as well. This will be the foundation of your journey to becoming a more attractive person to your spouse, to your boyfriend or girlfriend, to your friends and family, but most of all, to yourself. Click the link in the show notes to take the free assessment today. David, so you have taught a class at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, and I want to get clarification on this. Was the class actually called Touchy Feely? No, it was was called Interpersonal Dynamics. That was a formal title. The Touchy Feely is what the students called it. So they probably never knew what the formal title was. So the question was, are you taking Touchy Feely this quarter? How funny is that? Now, why did they call it touchy-feely? Well, because it's uh, it's very feely-based. It's, um, it's very interpersonal, and it's people, in a sense, um, trying to behave in a more authentic way. And a lot of that involves expressing emotions, uh, how I'm feeling about our interaction. Mm-hmm. And what caused you so when you started teaching this class what was what prompted you to want to teach on this subject where did this come from well my uh, degrees in social psychology so i've always been interested in interpersonal relations 
And this course is based on a special technology, uh, which is quite unusual. It's um, it, it's not lecture. It's not um, cases or anything like that. Let me briefly describe it, and then I'll answer your question. It involves uh, 12 students who get together for um, a period of time uh, over the term and start to build a relationship. And in doing that, begin to share their feelings and their reactions to each other, thus the name. So I happen to have known this technology and Stanford was interested in developing the course. So they recruited me uh, in 1969, before you were born. And uh, so I came and developed it in the next 30 years and has grown to be the most popular elective in the MBA program. So you, do you limit the class to 12 students or do you break the class into tw- groups of 12 students? The class is 36 students broken into three groups, each led by a facilitator. And um, then they uh, meet um, for about uh, four hours a week, an hour and a half in class, and then three hours in the evening. Wow. Yes. Yes. That's and, a big commitment. And, and so, so let me uh, briefly describe it, because I think it would interest you, is that most groups have uh, three factors. It has a leader, it has an agenda, and it has rules about how to operate, you know, even a social group. And we remove all of them. So we create a vacuum. And the facilitator says, our job is to build a group where we can learn from each other. And then goes silent. And students get anxious. And they say, well, what should we do? The facilitator said, "I, I don't know what we need. And then somebody comes in with an idea. Well, let's introduce ourselves. And about the fifth introduction, somebody else says, well, I'm getting bored with this. And the first person to initiate it says, well, if you have a better idea, let's hear it. And we're off and running because we share our reactions. And the second person might have said, well, if you would have asked my opinion, I would have given it then. But you bulldoze us through. So you see how we start to look at our interactions and we learn how we impact each other. So is the book... Is it coming? I mean, clearly it is. It says in the description that you are taking what comes from that class and putting it into what we can take from it without going through a semester of Stanford Business School and how we can apply it for our lives. Is that correct? Absolutely. You've got it. Let's talk about what the, so it says building exceptional relationships. This is the point of the book. So how do you build exceptional relationships? Well, uh, first thing is that's the title. What we're talking about relates to all relationships, but is crucial for exceptional. So we ought to see relationships as a continuum. You know, we have friends, we have colleagues, we have close friends and so on. So what we've found from the course is there are six dimensions. One is uh, to what extent will I let you really know me? Uh, to what extent will... Um, you, what, can I build conditions where you reciprocate? And let me know you. Do we, can we agree that the information we share won't be used against us, that you won't judge me negatively? Can we be honest with each other? Can we raise difficulties and resolve them, not just resolve them, but resolve them in a way that further strengthens the relationship 
And finally, are we committed to each other's growth? And if you have all of those, you start to move into a very special relationship, which is high trust. I can be open. I don't have to spin an image. I can, uh, I can be myself. And that's, that's a special condition. So what do you do when people are in a relationship and they, let's, let's talk about that first when you said, am I willing to be open? And this isn't how you worded it. Open and transparent is, is how I'm saying it. Yep. And are you willing to be open and transparent with me? So if someone is unwilling to be open and transparent about themselves, how do they begin to move forward from that in order for others to connect with them? Well, let's let's imagine, which I don't think would ever be true, Kimberly, that you said, uh, "Why don't I don't want to talk about myself?" Well, the we're course is <laughs> can't imagine, <laughs> but let's let's pretend. Let's pretend. Uh, so the course is based on an interesting. So this is going to be a little digression, but it's important. Uh, on three, on a concept that there are three realities. One is your motives and intentions. I don't know why you're doing that. The second is your behavior, well, your words, your things. And the third is the impact on me. So I'm likely to say, well, gee, Kimberly, I'm sorry about that because I'd like to be more open, but it's hard for me to be open if you don't reciprocate. And I'm not sure our relationship could go places and I'd like it to go places. Mm -hmm. So I, in a sense, tell you the impact of your behavior. So hopefully you'll say, uh, and then I may want to say, well, can you tell me what's going on that you don't want to? Because I am, am I doing anything? And you may say, well, I've had professors who've been very judgmental. And I, I'm not sure, David, I trust you. Well, that's actually a gift, that feedback. Hmm. Because I don't see myself as untrustworthy. So now, and by the way, we're now starting to connect. And you're starting to disclose yourself, your concern. And I could say, well, have I done anything? And you say, well, no, but, um, you know, you have this image. And then maybe we can have an agreement. Gee, Kimberly, if I do anything, will you please tell me? Because I don't want to have that impact on you. So you see how in this process, we're both being more open Trust is building a little bit, and uh, we're starting to connect. I can. Now that, and the way you played it out with the conversation was beautiful. And I believe everyone who hears that, hears it and thinks, well, that makes total sense as to how that would be a great response and, and all of the things. But I feel like, David, what normally happens is if if someone senses that someone doesn't like them or has something against them, we tend to get defensive or start writing stories in our minds of what the other person is thinking and why, as opposed to going and asking. Or if we do ask, it's typically in the sense of what's wrong with you? But Absolutely. It, it's not open. It's not inviting that feedback. So how do you teach people? What do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think our natural inclination has that defensiveness to it? Well, one way to look at that is when we talk about defensiveness, that's sort of bad, but we all need to defend ourselves, which is good. 
And those two are sort of linked. So am I defensive or am I defending myself? And it may have come from experiences in the past. It may be that I've been burnt by people attacking me. And my first thing that happens is my defenses go up. Mm-hmm. Now, you asked about the name of the course. And I said, because it has a lot of feelings, we really stress the power of emotions. So if I can be aware of my feelings, so at your first response that we made up, I would be feeling defensive. Mm-hmm. But, but if I can recognize that, Maybe I could now use that. And I could say, gee, Kimberly, that's hard for me to hear. I'm starting to feel a little defensive. I'm going to try to put that aside. Mm -hmm. So I'm acknowledging what's going on and hopefully um, being a little more open. And that may get you to be a little more open. So, So I think you're right. I think our first responses are that. And we need to take care of ourselves. But can we find better ways to take care of ourselves than to write off the other person or make up stories? Exactly. What do you think can help people to change the way that that they react? So what I heard you say was it's not a bad thing to want to defend yourself. Right. Perhaps the way that we go about trying to defend ourselves, that is where the break in the relationship happens. So, but there's such a a primal response to protect ourselves that, that we end up doing some of these things that are more hurtful, like the attacking or blaming or defensiveness. How do you start to program your mind or your reactions to not be that way towards someone else when you feel the need to defend yourself? Well, again, I want to stress that that feelings of defensiveness isn't bad. It's what we do with it. And that's, I think, what you're asking. Mm -hmm. So I think the first answer is, can I recognize that in myself? And maybe can I take a breath? And when I feel that armor going up, I may want to say, uh, ooh, wait a minute. Kimberly, I'm feeling defensive and I don't want to. So often just naming it, naming the elephant in the room, as we say, uh, gives us that space to say what's going on. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Even just naming it internally to ourselves. Correct. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and naming it to the other is a form of self-disclosure. Right? Saying, gee, I'm, this is the way I'm feeling. You're knowing me a little better. Right. But people tend to, I, I think, from my limited experience in, in working with others, it can feel, and even myself thinking about this, it can feel like a form of um, weakness at times mm-hmm. to say that, oh, I, that made me feel this way, or or I realize that I'm defensive about that, or... Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe that you you wouldn't trust me. That surprises me. It it can feel like weakness. So is it? Well, that, that's great. And so let me tell you an exercise we do in class. We put, uh, because what you're talking about is being vulnerable in a sense. Mm-hmm. And we put the word vulnerability on, on the whiteboard. We say, what, what association do you have? And the students say just what you're saying. Oh, it's weakness. It's being frail. It's being less than, and so on, so on. 
And finally, a student says, for me, it means courage. Hmm. It means strength. And you see, can I feel good enough about myself that I can be vulnerable? Now, it's not being totally vulnerable. Uh, <clears throat> we're just now getting to know each other. I'm, I'm not going to share my deep, 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 dark secrets. But I can be a little more vulnerable. And what I can find is that if I see that as coming out of strength, not out of weakness, then I'm going to feel okay about it. And I'm going to share a little bit. We'll see what happens. The other, there's other things you speak about in the book that I want to touch on as well, like being willing to ask for and offer help to others. I am going to, I will disclose to you, I'll be vulnerable with you for a minute. (laughs) It is very difficult for me to ask for help from some people. Other, there's certain people I don't mind asking for help from, but when it comes to my husband, I think he's the hardest one or people that I work closely with, then I want to have this sense of, I can do it. I'm strong. I'm independent. I don't need help. I don't want to burden other people. So why is being willing to ask for help a key in building an exceptional relationship? Well, if you're invulnerable, if you have all the answers, um, for one thing, it's hard for me to connect with you because that isn't me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and if you're so perfect, it's it becomes a... Um, a shield around you that I can't penetrate uh, because that isn't, you know, I can't identify with it. So I, I think that, um, but, but what you've talked about, which is wonderful, and let's talk about that thing with your husband. I, I think that that would be a fascinating conversation to have with him. Hmm. And, and are there things he does that makes you feel a little bit one down. Uh, does he too quickly come in to solve problems when you're in the middle of solving it? Uh, or it may be that he doesn't affirm your competence as much as you would like. I don't know, but but that's a but one of the ways to see all this is difficulties in relationships are opportunities, hmm. opportunities to know ourselves the other and to build a relationship. Hmm. I love, I love that saying difficulties in relationships are opportunities. I, so many times people see the difficulties and say, well, maybe this just means that it, it, we can't work. It's, we can't be friends. We shouldn't be friends. We shouldn't be married instead of trying to work through it. What have you seen in terms of that, in terms of watching people, whether it be couples or friends or coworkers in business relationships, when they work through difficulties, what have you seen happen on the other side of that? Well, what's important is your, your phrase to work through. And often we sort of get to a point uh, and we say, well, okay, we've reconciled it sort of, and we stop. Um, or even worse, we say, well, we'll just agree to disagree. Uh, well, that doesn't resolve it. It doesn't mean that we will 
fully reach, uh, will, will, will fully reach an answer, but will reach an answer that will connect us. Hmm. So l- let's play it out. Let's assume you and I were working together and you have a tendency not to ask for help. And we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. And we've tried to reach some sort of agreement. I know that's part of you. You aren't going to change overnight, but you've sort of said, yeah, I'd like to have it a little easier. So so maybe we can now um, um, be aware of it when we work together. And I can say, hey, you're, you're taking on an awful load, awful heavy load. Why don't you ask me? And then we can come back to it. But I am not saying, why don't you ask me? That's an accusation. But really being curious. And again, you see, one of the reasons we don't have this is interpersonal problems have an, often have an interpersonal component. It's mm-hmm. possible that I'm doing something. Do I want to hear that? And notice in our interaction, I've several times said, am I doing anything? If I want to build relationships, I've got to hear what I'm doing. And, um, and that's a form of vulnerability. Mm. And if I have to pretend to be perfect, I'm not going to do that. And if you have to pretend to be perfect, you're not going to do it. And we don't grow. Mm. Is there anything that can be done? Do you have any tips or tricks of the trade for someone who is asking that question, who is saying, is there anything I'm doing? Is there anything I can help with? Is there anything I can do better? but they're met with disengagement on the other side. Either someone just saying, nope, I'm good, or or ignoring that bid for attention and bid for an answer. And clearly we can't make someone engage back with us or be vulnerable with us. But what do you say to people who are trying and then the other party is just cut off or shut off? Well, it, it may be that um, they need some time to think about it. Mm. So I may want to say, so one tip is to say, uh, gee, uh, uh, I'm glad that I don't appear to be doing major things, but if you think of anything, I want to know. So I I want to give them space and they may need to reflect. Um, So I think that's one thing. But I think another thing which I'd be aware of is how do I respond when they do say something? And often we respond by explaining ourselves. Well, the reason, Kimberly, why I do that is X, Y, Z. And that's always heard as defensiveness. Um, And then the other person may stop. So if we ask, we've really got to continue to be curious. And remember that what isn't as important as our intention is the impact of our behavior. So if I'm doing something, why I'm doing it, is less relevant to the fact I'm doing it and it's getting in our way. So can I, can I really convey that I do want to hear? Because often we may not want to hear. Hmm. You've said a couple of times, be curious. What does it mean to want to be curious in a relationship? Well, you actually mentioned a key part a little while ago about our tendency to make up stories. Mm. And that's a natural tendency. Mm-hmm. The trouble is when we make up stories, we stop being curious. And what we do is we start to ask loaded questions to prove our hypothesis. Mm. 
Well, Kimberly, isn't the reason why you have a hard time because of how you were toilet trained as a young age, da, da, da. Well, well that isn't going to get you to be very open. <laughs> You're going to feel attacked. Right. So, so curious, uh, we also say curiosity and inquiry are linked. And the root of inquiry is quest. And when I'm on a quest, I don't know where I'm going. When I have a story, I think I know where I'm going, and I stop being curious. But I talked about the three realities. I only know my intentions. Both of us know my behavior. I don't know what motivates you. And I've got to keep on believing I, d I can't uh, make up stories. Or if I make up stories, they're my stories. They ain't your reality necessarily. Mm. And can I say to myself, well, gee, that's an interesting person. I wonder, I'd, I'd like to get to know her, but I wonder why. So, Kimberly, why, why is it hard? Um, but I've really got to not be that an accusation, like, why is that hard? But, but gee, I'd like to know you. Mm -hmm. I heard several months ago that curiosity, when you feel curious, when you have that feeling within you, when you're inquisitive, when you're wanting to know more, that it is the opposite of anxiety or fear and feelings of fear and anxiety in our bodies. Would you agree with that statement? No, that's interesting. I'd, I'd have to think about it, but I, I think there is something to that. Uh, one of the ways, this is going to seem like a little digression, but I think you, it'll make sense. Uh, there's apparently a book, I've never read it, called The Zen of Tennis. And what it says is that if you spend your time saying, is my arm cocked the right way? Are my feet right? Uh, is my arm back? The ball has gone by you. Mm. So if I focus on me, the ball goes by me. I've got to say, that's where I want to go. That's where I want the ball to go. So I think when we're afraid or anxious, we're focused on ourselves. Hmm. When we're curious, we're focusing on the other. Now, that raises the question, what happens if I'm feeling anxious? Maybe I could say that. Hmm. Gee, I'd like to know more, but I'm starting to feel anxious, and I'm not sure why I'm doing that. So again, we're back to more self-disclosure and disclosure of feelings, emotions. And again, it originating within ourselves. Yes. A lot of this is going back to noticing, calling it out, being aware of it within ourselves before we ever engage in the relational aspect of, of it. Yes. Yes. A, a, a way to look at this phrase we use is we say, we need to develop two antennae. One antennae is what's going on with me. The other antenna is, I wonder what's going on with the other person. And we need to have both of them, often simultaneously. So, gee, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I wonder why that is. And then I am aware of sort of how you're responding. And you're nodding and seeming curious, and that's reassuring to me. And I may want to say, um, yeah, now that I've said it, I'm feeling a little less anxious. So. 
you see, it's 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 a process of if I let you know about me a little bit more, maybe you'll let me know about you. Mm-hmm. But this could also go into an unhealthy state where we may, I mean, there are some people, especially if we start looking at a, attachment theory and people who are in that preoccupied, so to say, state, those people overly self-disclose and but they're looking for the other person's response to be what calms them and to be what gives them value as to whether or not they they feel loved. So how do you have a healthy balance of this, of noticing yourself, disclosing it, but also not putting your worth into how the other person responds to you? Great. That's great. Uh, for one thing, Kimberly, you have made up a story. You have made up a story of why they are doing it. Mm. You don't know that. There I am. You, you might be right. Now, now, again, it's 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 not that you've done something wrong. All of us do this because we want to understand the other person. Mm. But that gets us to focus so much on psyching them out. Mm. And so what I want to do is I want us to stay with ourselves. So let's assume, and I'm going to make you the full person again. Let's assume that you do a lot of self-disclosure. And I'm starting to feel anxious. And I'm, and I ask myself, why am I feeling anxious? And I say, obviously, I'm making all this up. Uh, and I say to myself, gee, I'm afraid that she's wanting me to reassure her. Mm. Uh, boy, that doesn't feel comfortable because it keeps me from being honest and being the, having the sort of relationship I want. Now, maybe I could say, Kimberly, you share a lot about yourself, which I value, which is true, but I'm starting to feel worried. I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm afraid that you may want me to affirm you, um, and, and that ties me up. See, I don't know if that's true. I'm raising it. I'm trying to be curious. Mm -hmm. uh, um, now you may say, no, 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 no. Well, that's what you're saying. The next time we're interacting and I give my response and you don't seem happy with it, I may want to say, Kimberly, I, you don't seem happy with my response. And you say, well, well, I don't feel validated. I can say, you know, this is what we talked about before. I, I I don't want to be the person that validates you. I want to be a person that can respond honestly to you. What can we do about this? You see, I don't have the answer. I only have half the answer, namely me. Mm -hmm. I don't have you. Can we get in a conversation? Mm-hmm. And how would you relate this to someone who's wanting to set boundaries? Uh, that's our perception, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they want to do that. But so, so, so give me a behavior. What's a behavior of setting boundaries? And that would help me. So let's take the, the conversation you were just having and where, where you were feeling like someone was wanting uh, 
I was concerned that you were concerned. You were concerned that the person you're speaking to, let's say it was me. So if I were the one speaking to you, that I might be looking for you for my affirmation and that you, that's what you needed to do for me. So let's say that that continued to happen and that conversation continued to happen and you continued to feel like that burden was on you. Would you have a conversation to where you would say, set a boundary? And I say that kind of in quotes because I, I think that the term boundaries has many different connotations and right. definitions depending on who uses it. So I'm not saying this is something that should or shouldn't be done. I'm simply wanting to know what is your view on setting boundaries in these types of situations? I think we need to to set boundaries all the time. Mm -hmm. And we do it. We set boundaries um, about uh, how often we see another person. We set boundaries about what we talk about. Uh, It may be that... um, uh, Again, I'm making all this up. You may ask me something that I feel is too personal. Mm. You may ask me about my relationship with my wife, with Eva. Mm -hmm. And I may say, you know, I don't feel comfortable about that because um, I'm disclosing stuff that I haven't checked with Eva. So Mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to go there. And I think it's okay, but I need to own that as my need, not that you're doing something wrong. So if I say, how dare you ask that sort of question, that isn't going to help our relationship. Mm. But if I can say, hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Here's why I'm feeling uncomfortable. And I don't want to do it. I I, I think we need to set boundaries. But can we be clear about it without blaming the other person as having done something inappropriate? Hmm. That's good. The other thing I'm noticing in in all of these responses that you're giving of the hypothetical conversations that we're having (laughs) is that your tone is so calm. Your voice sounds warm. Your, you sound like that you, like you are not emotionally upheavaled. How do you learn that skill in responding to people? Well, I'm not always that way. And remember, we're we're role playing this, which makes right. it a little easier. It's the uh, ideal so, response, though. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Because really? if I am upset, uh-huh. I am upset. So let's say that you say something that really gets me upset. Mm-hmm. First of all, can I hold myself back? from wanting to blast you, from retaliating. Mm -hmm. And we're back to, again, that self-awareness. Can I say, Kimberly, I am really bothered by that. In fact, I feel hurt. Uh, That really hurts me. And and not only that, I can't trust my response right now. I need uh, a minute to collect myself. Because I am really upset. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, it's, it's, again, I've set a boundary. I said, I don't want to talk for a minute. That's a boundary. Uh, but I've told you where I am. And what I haven't done is I haven't uh, attacked you in back. Uh, because that isn't going to help. And it's likely you're going to say, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Or you might say, well, I was hurt too. And then I could say, okay, we've got something we've got to talk about. Because my guess is neither of us wanted to hurt the other, but we did hurt each other. Mm -hmm. So if I'm upset, I'm upset. Mm-hmm. I'm and 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 I and I get upset. Sure, as we all do. Absolutely. Do any of these six areas that, that you talk about in the book, it is six, correct? Right. Yes, correct. I thought I had that right. Do any of these six areas that you talk about in the book, I know that they all apply to family, friends, and coworkers. But do they apply in different extents depending on the type of relationship? So are there some that are more important with a husband or a wife or kids than they are with coworkers? Yes, because I want to have a deeper relationship with my family than with my coworkers. That's more important to me. So when we talk about exceptional relationships, we say, you don't want every relationship to be exceptional. That's exhausting. It's impossible. Mm. I want four or five to be exceptional. Now I'd like a lot of them to be strong and robust, mm. which is further down the scale on all six of those. Now, um, in terms of family, um, I, I think trust is one of the most important things. Mm. Um I, I think, um, but I think all of them are. And I think that all of them also relate at work, but to different degrees. Mm-hmm. And again, at work, what I say to managers is, who are the key people you need to get your job done? Uh, maybe within your department or maybe across your department, maybe your boss. That's where you're going to put your effort. Another colleague you're going to be polite to. I mean, I've got a lot of colleagues at Stanford, and I'm we're polite and friendly to each other. But I sure in hell am not doing much self-disclosure, and I'm not telling them all that I'm thinking or feeling. Mm-hmm. They're not necessary. What is one of your... So of all the years that you have taught this class at Stanford, is there a moment or a, a specific class or a person that you look back and you remember from this class that's one of your favorite stories from it? Well, I remember um, a time um, in which I was leading one of the groups. And, um, you know, I was then probably in my 60s and the students are in their late 20s. And uh, they were talking about relationships they were having and um i was sort of getting in touch with myself and i said um i'm really feeling envious Hmm. because i'm envying that you're in the middle of all of this and um that's no longer a life that i'm in that's a memory And I have a great relationship with Eva, but it's not the same thing. And I said, I'm envious of that you have your life ahead of you. And I'm seeing my life ending at some point. Mm 
And um, I know I felt a little scared saying that. I didn't want them to take care of me or to reassure me or to think I'm a doddering old person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Didn't share all of that at that time. Uh, But I remember sharing that, and then we had a great conversation. Um, And they were talking, and so they said, well, say more. And then I talked about, uh, you know, hopes that I have for my kids and so on. That's that's one occasion. But another one, which is doesn't involve me, there was this person, and um, he'd been uh, he's he'd responded to other students with suspicion about what they're saying, doubting their motives. Hmm. And he did that, and people said, "Hey, it's really not true." And then he did it for the third time. And another student said, uh, uh, Jonathan, what's going on? That's the third time you've done that. You know, and it's bothering. Why are you so suspicious? And he rocked back in his chair and he said, I don't know, but I, I now see that I am that way. And he sort of went into himself reflecting about that. Hmm. And we didn't have to figure out what's going on for him. We had given him feedback about the impact of his behavior. And he then went into it and said, I don't know all that this is going on, but I see that I've done that. I see the price I've paid with broken relationships. And it was just very profound. Hmm. And I think it was definitely profound but it was so satisfying because as a teacher, you don't know if you have an impact on students. And this is a course in which I see all the time the impact that this course has had. Not that I've had necessarily, but the course has had. In the way that the course is done, so you said that it was an hour a week of the teaching and then three hours of connection with the group, the 12 people that were in the group. And so each week, would you just teach on one of these principles? And then during those three hours, they would have to go and there was, but there was no structure. So they would just go meet and figure out how to talk about it. How, how would it work now that we understand what they, what the course was (laughs) about, how did it actually work when they went through it? Well, uh, that's right. In the hour, and we'd often do a little exercise to sort of tee up things. Okay. Um, but I remember one year, a group assiduously refused to use the material of the hour. That was okay. It's their three hours to learn from. So they would go sit down for the three hours and sit in a circle. And there'd be silence. And, but people can't stand silence. So somebody's going to say something. And somebody may say, well, the exercise we did today really got me in touch with the fact that, um, um, Sheila, I was really annoyed at what you had done at last meeting. And I've been sitting on it. Well, we're off and running. Or somebody else may say, um, there's something I've been holding back. Um, and what I've been holding back, which has affected me in the group is, um, 
I think my uh, boyfriend is going to break up with me. Hmm. And I don't want you to, I don't need any help in solving that. That's my issue. But that's why I've been distant. Hmm. So they disclose. Mm-hmm. Or somebody else says, what the issue was talking about in class was vulnerability. And I realize I have a hard time with that. And Joe, I particularly have a hard time with you in that. I don't know where it's going to start. In fact, when I've sat in the groups, I've sort of tried to predict how it's going to start. And I never, I was always wrong. <laughs> but it's going to start. And the phrase we use is trust the process. Mm-hmm. When you get 12 people with the assignment of learn from each other, magic happens. Hmm. And that assignment stayed the same every week. It was learn from each other. That's, that's in essence. And, and in the hour class, we would give them a new concept, maybe self-disclosure, maybe the role of feelings. It may be how to give behavioral feedback. It may be on um, um, how to be curious. Hmm. And they may or may not use it. Mm-hmm. Or they may say, well, three classes ago we covered, and I just realized. Hmm. So there weren't, there weren't set assignments. You just... Um, build the space for people to learn from each other. Hmm. Would you use that same phrase as a model or charge of how we should be in our relationships, that we should try to learn from each other? Yes. Yes. And and the stronger the relationship, the greater the chance we can learn. Hmm. Because, you see, one of the phrases we use is it takes two to know one. I'm an expert on my motives and intentions. We both see my behavior. I don't know the impact on you. If I'm to be effective, I've got to know the impact on other people. If I don't know, I'm shooting in the dark. And you don't hit the target when you shoot in the dark. So other people have this crucial information. And when I work at organizations, I say, in this organization, there are a lot of people have, who have crucial information about you, about how you're effective, how you can be more effective, what you do that shoots yourself in the foot, and we don't share it. Now, it's challenging to share, and you need special situations to share it. But think about it. The world has all this valuable information on you that you don't have yet. And now in relationships, you could ask for it. So you can turn to somebody and say, gee, you've changed the subject twice. Have I done anything? But again, do you really want to know? Right. That's beautiful. I I love that. It takes two to know one because seeking to understand the impact of your behavior, that, that is huge. That is huge. Well, David, final question that I have for you is what of all the things we've talked about and of all the years that you have studied this and taught it and, and all that wisdom that you have, if you were to try, which I know this is, this this (laughs) might be a big ask. If you were to try and boil it down to one key thing that you would want to leave our listeners with, what would that one thing be? I think it would be to say, 
take risks, move into spaces that are a little uncomfortable and learn from it. Mm. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me, for having this conversation. Can you tell our listeners about where they can find your book called Connect, where they can get all the deeper information about what we've talked about today? Good. It's called Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues by Bradford and Robin. It's on Amazon. You can order at your local bookstore. Uh, also, you can look at our website, which is connectandrelate.com, and you'll find a questionnaire there that you might find useful that you could fill out for yourself, or you can give to your friends or family and have them fill it out on you. Um, but we hope that you uh, find this helpful. And what we also encourage, since I want to sell books, you may want to buy two copies one for yourself and one for a person you want to build a relationship with and read it together. That's great. And we'll have the notes and the links to those, all of those things, the book and the website connectandrelate.com in the show notes so that you can just go there and go and get the book, go and take the quiz. I'm definitely going to go take that quiz. I didn't know about it before this episode, <laughs> but I will definitely go and take it. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. David, although I really want to call you Dr. Bradford, I very much appreciate your time. Well, I've really enjoyed it, Kimberly, and I wish we could continue this because it was fun getting to know you a little bit. You're so sweet. Thank you. I feel the same about you. Here are my key pies takeaways from today's episode with Dr. David Bradford. The first takeaway that I had was that our relationship obstacles are really just opportunities for us to grow. This is key. Highlight it, underlight it, bold it, emoji it, do whatever you have to do in your mind or in your notes or in your phone in order to really understand that. Because so many times we want to retreat and head out when the going gets tough. But just like my favorite Southern saying is, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that doesn't mean going as in leaving, retreating, walking away, but going as in figuring out what to do to overcome the hurdle in this relationship and have a stronger relationship on the other side. What we see a lot in society right now is that when relationships get hard, that is when people start to to walk away. We have seen that recently in the news, depending on when you listen to this, as day of recording, just two days ago, Bill and Melinda Gates announced their divorce, saying that they couldn't see themselves growing together in the future. I believe that the best relationships are the ones where you make a commitment and you're going to overcome whatever obstacles come up because the relationship is that important. The next key pies takeaway that I had from the conversation is if we are afraid or anxious, then we tend to focus on ourselves. So how instead can we be curious about ourselves and about others, but take that focus off of just ourselves into the greater impact of what we're doing and the impact that our behavior has on others? Dr. Bradford said, learn from each other and seek to understand the impact of your behavior. If I change my thinking to not just try and write a story or a narrative of what the other person is thinking, but really seek to understand how my behavior is impacting them, 
I grow. That is such an amazing growth opportunity. It's so great to have that opportunity for feedback. It's definitely a key takeaway that I have from today's conversation. The last and final key takeaway that I have from today's conversation is that the key to setting boundaries is to set those boundaries without blaming the other person as if they have done something wrong. It is simply to state what you need in order for you to grow and for you to feel good about the way that things are going. So many times we talk about setting boundaries as a punishment or we do it by blaming or attacking the other person. That's not helpful. It's not good. And that is not a positive impact that our behavior leaves on the other person. So how do you set your boundaries in your life without blaming the other person? The way that today's conversation relates directly to your pies is because emotional attraction is key to long-term relationships. When people evoke emotions within us, we don't enjoy feeling. We won't want to be around them for long. Bottom line, it is the most repulsive part of a person when it becomes a negative part of attraction. And so when we are talking about what we can do to look inward and to become less anxious in our relationships, to commit to overcome obstacles, to seek to understand what's going on with me and understand the impact of my behavior and the way that things are coming across and how I'm affecting others. That is emotional attraction at its best. Everything we talked about today, what Dr. Bradford talks about in his book, those things are the things that will help us to become more emotionally attractive. I hope that this episode has helped you as much as it's helped me. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember to follow It Starts With Attraction anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more positive change we can make for relationships and for individuals around the world. For show notes, updates, and the opportunity to join our email list for encouraging weekly strategies for you to become the best that you can be in all areas of your pies, go to piesuniversity.com. Again, that is piesuniversity.com. Keep working on your pies and always remember it starts with attraction.